What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode 14 of a podcast about New York sports. I'm Sam Allen, joined by Matt McFeely. And wow, Matt, what a night we had last night. Um, what a day, actually. We'll get into the football, but the Mets, easily the main story of the day, losing 6 nothing in what many would describe as a very embarrassing, lackluster, you can fill in whatever adjective you want to put in front of the word loss, but... Six nothing Padres. The Mets uh, seemed like it was over before it started, and things just got a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of points, a lot of things going forward to look at. Um, Matt, what's going on? How are you feeling today? Um, I'm I'm sad, but like we said on the last pod, we, this is kind of like you and I kind of hit this right on the head when we said they'll win Saturday. I can't see them winning two in a row, and they didn't. And really, it, it felt like the real end of the season was the Atlanta series, obviously, because how how are you going to perform like that and then just turn it all around? And then now, listen, I thought they could have won the series. I didn't feel confident about it. But I mean, did you know that they got one hit? Yeah, I well, I they got one hit, but didn't they also get only two base runners total? I think it was a, a base hit and a Starling Marte walk. Yeah, yeah. Which and is I, like, I, listen, it, it was it was unlucky from that. I mean, even uh, you, you remember when Lindor ripped one down the line, but uh, Marte happened to be you know being held at first base, so the you know he doesn't come up with a hit. Um, I, I, to me, it kind of felt over when the nine hitter uh, Austin Nola has what was it like a forty two pitch at bat. Yeah, that, then, uh, it was yeah. a great at bat. Yep, and then he I'll, rifles I'll that. A, and then he rifles a single out into I think left field. And well, yeah. let's 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 break this down a little bit. Let's get into this because yeah. I, I want to talk about the Musgrove of it all in a little bit. But yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. Let's start with the build up to the game. Right now, we recorded. We're rapid fire right now. This is like our fourth episode in or third episode in like four days. So There's a lot happening. A lot happening. Lot, lot happening. Great time of year. But what I want to start with is. Kind of more so what I said, and I'm, this isn't going to be me hanging on the rim or anything, but my before the series even started and we were talking about pitching matchups, I said I think it would be absolutely horrendous to lose because Bassett didn't have it in a game three where your season's on the line. And that's exactly what happened. And it's, I don't think – I know you're going to ask me, well, what would you want them to do? I just think that to not have – your two guys who you doesn't look like it, but you might end up spending almost a hundred million dollars on next year in total talking about Scherzer and DeGrom, not having one of those guys on the Hill with your season on the line, I think is just, is just, it's not, it's not what you want. And I think that clearly, and obviously I'm going to say like Monday morning quarterback a little bit here, but obviously it didn't work. Because Bassett didn't have it. Um, he didn't look even even when he got out of situations, right? He was getting out by like the skin of his teeth, right? It felt would like you, you were on felt, the ropes. Would you have felt better about Scherzer being out there, even even on full rest with the yes. way that he's yep. been pitching? Why? Yes. Why? Because, because he's at the end of the day, he's Max Scherzer, and that's Chris Bassett. That, I, like, guess. I, I think that's it. Like, like just the way I feel about the Yankees, where yeah, maybe I want to start Nestor in game one. But it's freaking Garrett Cole. Like, like, don't I don't think there's much more to overlook other than that. And, and I'm not saying that, like, it's easy for me to say, oh, well, you know, if it was up to me, I would have started Bassett game one and DeGrom game two and then had Scherzer game three. Obviously, I'm not saying it's that. easy I'm, to say I, that. I, that's not what I'm saying. I, I just feel like after that Scherzer game, I, I kind of, you know, we were talking about Scherzer coming out of the bullpen last night. I almost even went back on that. I mean, he obviously his arm is dead. Let's let's call a spade a spade. He, he, whether yeah. smoke or fire, he's been complaining about it. It's the second year in a row that it's happened with him. He, well, he, isn't his lat? Isn't like this his lat muscle or something like that that was bothering him? Maybe. I thought that was his, his exact injury. Because I was watching during the Brave series. Um, so it was either Keith, or maybe not Keith, but Gary Cohen, whoever it was, suggested, and they said that, oh, you know, Scherzer has told us that he has his lat problem, but he's actually. It's still in pain, but he's actually learned how to pitch around it. And I thought that was like an interesting like little tidbit because that just means he's like changing something. He's uh, whether it's the amount of effort that goes into every pitch or something very small in his mechanics uh, somehow 
where where he finishes, where his body finishes. But I thought that was an interesting spin on it. But I think if you're the Mets still, you still just got to trust that, hey, go be in pain for six innings, please. I, I get what you're saying. And I guess at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter when you get one hit. You know, you could have had prime Cy Young on the mound. Well, that's it's so funny you say that because I called my grandpa who, you know, yeah. huge meth fan, hates Seth Lugo, turns the game off every time <laughs> Seth Lugo comes in. Anyway, I called him last night and the first thing he said was they would have lost if they had prime Tom Seaver on the mound. Yeah. And it's yeah. so true. And they would have. Like, yeah. So really, that that was really the issue. Uh, it, it's it's a team that doesn't slug. It's a team that hasn't hit for any. They couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Well, let's let's lead let's lead that into the the lineup and the hitting. So we already spoke about Bassett and starting pitching on the Mets side. We'll get into the Padres, but let's stick with the Mets order and hitting. Right. So what did you think about the lineup last night? I had no problem with it. it they kind of did top load it the way that we wanted. Maybe maybe yeah. if you're going to be nitpicky, sure. Maybe I'd like Jeff McNeil up there a little bit higher. Over Marte, I thought. I mean, not that I, didn't, I hated the Mar- Marte thing, but like, I don't know. I, I thought that I don't. I, maybe they they just feel like Jeff McNeil is one of those guys that, like we said, has to stay at his spot. And they don't want to like mess around with him. But I would have loved to see McNeil up at in the two the two spot opposed to having him go the second inning. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you just gotta think the batting champ. It's just instant instant pressure, like we said yesterday. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to be nitpicky because I feel like regardless of what the order was, the Mets still would have lost because they're just they didn't string anything together. It's not like they strung together two hits from the top of the order and then got strikeout strikeout from five, six or something like that. They just no. didn't have anything. No. And our biggest concern was the bullpen. And, you know, they weren't perfect last night, but I don't think they're to blame that like they I, the Mets lose this series and they come out of it saying, well, it's not the bullpen's fault. And say. Listen, and if you think about the trade deadline, which is obviously been I was just, like just going to get into that. Well, the big talking point, if you look at it, who gave up, who gives up the, I guess, I mean, the game is over. They didn't score any runs, but Givens, Michael yeah. Givens, Givens yeah. gives up two runs. That's your gem of the deadline right there. Well, the second that I saw Peterson take them out, I was, uh, I was, done. I mean, yeah, they, again, they didn't score a run. So you could make the argument that when it was one, nothing, the game is over. Yeah. But I've, just I've, in the moment, the feel of the stadium and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, how if I told you that that if I gave you those names, the Naquin, the Vogelback, the um, the Givens, who, who was the other? Uh, rough, rough. Oh, God. If I would have told you that that was what they were going to do back in May, you would have laughed at me. Yeah. That, and, it, and it's laughable now because of what not, I, I think it would be laughable, even if they they were able to squeak by the Padres. Right. Because they would go into the next series and say. Boy, like, let's say they got they ended up winning like, you know, five, four yesterday. Right. Let's yep. just say they, they found the bats. It the and everything else was the same with the starters. They the the argument or I guess the the worry would be, gee, Scherzer didn't look like Scherzer. Bassett didn't have it. And even DeGrom was good, but he was not DeGrom. Like, do we think we can beat the Bra- even if we do turn our bats around? Do we think we beat the Braves or the Dodgers like this? With no yeah. starting pitching, essentially. Yep. Um, so a lot, I mean, it was just a situation where I feel like all the wrong things went wrong at the right time or the wrong time, I guess. Yeah. Or the same time. But uh, again, I, I didn't think Bassett had it. If you want to get really into the weeds of it, I thought that um, some of his pitch selection was off. And I thought it was very smart by the Padres to c- control the pace and keep calling time like they did. Yeah. No, a little. I- I saw something about that. I mean, they they were stepping out like there was no tomorrow. Well, it's a little bush league, right? It's a little bush league, and I was going to say that until, and we'll get into this in a little bit. I still want to talk about more pitch selection, but yeah. I thought it was a little bush league at points where they would just call time for fun almost, yeah. or they almost had like a, a grin on their face while calling time. And I thought it was bush league until I saw what Buck did to Musgrove. I, okay, I, I, let, let, me, let me start with this. Let, let's go right into that then. Let me start with this. I have a problem with what Gary Cohen said about it after the fact, excuse me, because like you personally, when you're watching that game and all you're hearing about is the booth talking about the spin rate, they couldn't talk enough about the spin rate and you're looking at his ears and they're glistening under the lights. 
you really thought that that was desperation or that that was embarrassing to try and call attention to it? Now, it didn't work. You didn't throw him off. I mean, you, you really you juiced him up. Well, no. Well, no, I, I don't think I'm not 100 percent on board with what he said. But what I will say is that what one thing that he said that I do agree with is if you're going to do that on that stage at that point in the game, you better be right. And not only for the sense of what ended up happening, which is it kind of was like a rallying cry for the Padres. Yeah. But for the sake of, I mean, like I'll get, I'm going to get deep into this now, right? You're Buck Showalter, right? What's the aura around Buck Showalter? He's this, he has the best deal for the game. And he, he, at the end of the day, it's Buck say like no other manager in the league really, or no other successful manager in the league. We should say agree with that so far. Right. So then how silly of it for Buck to sit at the podium and say at the end of the game, and when he's asked about it, he didn't say that, oh, we did it because, you know, th- there's stuff on his ears. The first thing he hid behind was, oh, well, we were getting we were getting uh, spin rate information. Buck, What's wrong with that? But there, there's nothing wrong with it. But if, if you're going to do that, as well as having such an amazing feel for the game, as everyone says, you better be right, because otherwise it just looks like a tactic. And that's and honestly, and and for let, let me get a little further, right into this take. If I'm Buck Showalter, there's even more weight on the fact that he better be right because what was the thing about the Mets all year? They're going to set the record for most hit by pitches. Tell me if you did not feel like as soon as they checked Musgrove, every time someone got into like a three uh, three ball count, I to me I felt this guy's going to get plunked. Well, would that have been so bad if you're the Mets and you had two base no, runners? No, but if you're night? but if you're Buck Showalter and you do that and you're you're wrong, you swing and miss and you're wrong, and now all of a sudden you almost put your own players at even more of a, at more of danger when you've already been the most hit team in the league in the playoffs. But, but the Mets would have signed up to take a couple pitches on the shoulder. I mean, based on what? Based on what? Based on the year, fact that they had two base runners. No, oh, in the no, most important game okay. of the season. You're right, but also you need to understand that they're not all year. It's been a complaint that they get hit. It's literally the SNY broadcast would zoom in on Buck every time a pitch even came close to a hitter. Yeah. So now in the playoffs, what you're going to tell me is Buck was fine with his players getting hit after crying about it all year long? Please. That I think it was in that sense. I think it was a terrible move by Buck. See, but where I think but it's you're one wrong of those is. Things where, you where have think, to be right. Sorry. You just have to be right. Where I think you're wrong is I don't think Buck complained about it all year long. I think it was almost like funny. Oh, like no, he, no, 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 baseball. no. You alluded to the broadcast talking about it. I don't think it was really this giant Mets complaint outside of maybe the, the Arenado game. Oh, come uh, on. You, you saw him in the dugout every time he get in the top step, even if it didn't pitch, it didn't hit him. Yeah, but he'd just stand there. It wasn't like. No, I mean, that's not what I read it, at least. I read it as like, don't effing hit us again. Yeah, I mean, listen, if, if it was, if it, it, I don't think it was just a tactic, but if it was, is that a little weak? Sure. But at, I think at it's, a, time, no, I don't think it's a little weak. I think it's a lot of weak. At the time of them asking the umpires to call attention to it, make sure everything's okay. I didn't have a problem with it. I really didn't. Well, but also too, now let me ask you this. If I'm, if I'm Buck and that was, it was right before the inning began, right? Like, right, it was he was warming up when they did it, or was there yeah, someone I, on? I think so. I think no, no, it was on. I see, I think it was in the beginning of the inning. Like, why didn't I ask him at the end of the last inning? I, I don't know when they got said like, information, but, the, but no this idea. is my but this is my point, right? Like, just think of the optic of it. He Musgrove is throwing this absolute gem, which he's very capable of. It's not like he's just doing this on like a one off situation. I mean, it might have been the best game he'll ever pitch in his life. But yeah. are we stunned that he did it? No, I'm no, not. Especially with the way the Mets are hitting, of course not. Yeah, exactly. So that those two things into into effect, and then the fact that like he does it during the warmups when he's standing in the middle of the field, and then he gets checked, and then it becomes this big rallying cry for what the like the place just gets hostile all of a sudden, and it's almost like. If you really want to, if you really thought he was cheating, you really thought he was cheating. Maybe after the last out of the the last inning, you check him. But this is what I mean, where I say it, it was so blatantly a a tactic or rallying cry for the Mets because he, just the way he did it, 
Just like you remember, for instance, speaking about optics, Lindor, uh, did Lindor get hit by the pitch? Or what happened with Lindor? He got hurt or something? I think there was so they had one hit and and was it Lindor that had uh, that had walked? No, it was Marte. So. Well, what, what, when when they were looking at Lindor, some maybe there was a high pitch, or when Buck came out, or was Lindor up or something when they when they were checking it? But whatever it was, Buck picked up Lindor's bat and handed it to him, and the place went nuts. You remember that? Yes. Did you were you watching that? That's an optic. So what does that tell you? Buck is all about the optic. If you're going to sit here and tell me that he doesn't, he didn't think that. Hey, maybe he is cheating, but also, hey, this is going to be really good for the fans to get into it. You're going to tell me he didn't think that? I, I'm sure he did think of it, but what, I, what I'll say is what percentage of it was tactic to you? Because it, it, had there not been a, 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 an insane spin rate increase, I'm not going to find the numbers and, and explain No, well, I got, I got, I have them. If that, wasn't, if that wasn't a thing and, and you didn't see his ears, it, they wouldn't have, you think they, would, they still would have had him checked just because they were getting dominated? Well, well, no, well, no, but that I think it's this is where Buck is is very, very smart because he he probably got the numbers of the spin rate or someone probably told him like, hey, like it's a little fishy, like. And then the, I think on the post game they even said like, you know, they have veteran pitchers that Scherzer and Degrom were probably telling him like, hey, this guy's got something on his ears. We should go check him the whole game. Maybe probably. that, sure, yeah. But I think the way Buck took it was this is an easy way to do something like very Bush league and tactical and have something to hide behind. So I can't get fired back on. Maybe that's how I, that's how I saw it. And then given all what I just said about like him handing Lindor the bat and the place going crazy and just like all his top step antics, when someone gets hit, I think Buck is, is smart enough to know what certain maneuvers and tactics do. And I well, think it is, it's almost like, like if it was Aaron Boone, right? If Aaron Boone did that, I don't think I would feel the same because I don't feel like Aaron Boone is that, t- that type of manager. What you said that made the most sense to me or that I agree with the most is that he should have done it earlier. And I don't want to be that guy, but I'm still not sold that he wasn't using anything. But by the time that the Mets called attention to it, it was viral on social media. You think he would yeah. still go out there? Like, that? I mean, but I think, but I think what I said is in the fact that they did it in the middle of like pretty much. If you think of a baseball field as a stage, if you do something in the middle of the stage, everyone sees it, right? But why yeah. not do it behind the curtains if you if you're really not concerned about it? Yeah, no, I I, I understand. That's that. my case sort of closed point. I think that they they thought something was probably up, and but of course they they took into account that maybe this throws them off, maybe this galvanizes the crowd, galvanizes oh, easily. The I get it, easily. I get it, I get it, but I don't think that. I don't even know that I, I agree that that was the majority of the reason that Buck called attention to it. We might just have to agree to disagree here because I thought it was like as and then also like kind of what I said in about them calling time. I also thought that was a little like not a retaliation almost, but like, hey, like if you guys are going to do some Bush League stuff to us, I'm going to do some Bush League stuff back to you guys. Yep. So like. And I think if would it, would you be stunned? Like I would have if I'll tell you the truth. If Buck said that, hey, look, like our guys couldn't hit. I was looking for anything to make our guys hit, and that's what I thought was was the best option there. I would have respected his answer more than hiding behind a stat when we know, or an in-depth stat like spin rate, when we know Buck's whole mantra is him being like this great baseball mind without any statistics. Yeah. So I just yeah. thought it was weak. And I thought like I, I was not rooting against the Mets. I was I didn't I didn't bet on either side. I didn't have any rooting interest really. I could couldn't care less who won or who didn't win. I guess for the sake of the podcast, I kind of wanted the Mets to win because it's another talking point. But um yeah. I thought at that point when they when I saw that, I was rooting hard for the Padres. Yeah. All right. So let, let me read off all these um you know, potential players that the Mets are going to lose, all, all the people that are going to hit the market here, and then, and then we'll get into DeGrom and some of the post-game comments from DeGrom. Uh, obviously, DeGrom, Carrasco, Diaz, Bassett. I'm trying to just look at impact players here. Taiwan Walker, Brandon, Nimmo, uh, Adovino. That, that's about it. But, um, yeah, so th- this could be a, a completely new-look Mets team going into next season, and uh, we'll see. But, anyway, did you listen to DeGrom after the game? I did not. What do you have to say? 
he just seemed a little emotional and I'm not going to talk about any contract stuff. And I'm just upset. We lost the baseball game tonight. He talked about how, you know, he thought maybe Saturday was, was going to be his, his last time pitching for the Mets. Um, it, we've said it before. We think he's gone. I don't know why he has to talk about it so often and make it such a big deal. Like why, why can't we just watch it for one more season? You know, he, and, and by the way, he holds all the power. He makes it sound like, well, we'll see. Cause I don't know what the Mets are going to throw. I mean, the Mets are going to offer you whatever you want. So if you I leave, don't think it's so. because I do. I think you that do. They, I mean, that, that could be another back. argument for another day. I don't really want to get into like, but you would know, you agree that what, he has the power here in terms of like, whether he stays or leaves? I mean, technically, yes, he does. And he acts like he doesn't, which just makes me think he's out. Well, but I, I'm, I'm part of the team where I don't necessarily feel like the Mets would offer him everything. Oh, listen, maybe not everything, but I don't even know what he's going to get at this point. And you would think the Mets would at least match a, a, a best offer. I see. I don't think so. I think they're okay with getting outbid. I feel like the Mets would have their number and say, look, we don't want to put $100 million in our, our one-two when you can't even win. So, yeah. Or, well, like, he's, he's the pitcher that did win. But. And, and honestly, with, with the amount of guys that I feel like could help the Mets more, like hint, hint, Aaron Judge or like a Trey Turner, if you get him to go play like, I don't know, the outfield or something like that. I feel like there's there's much there's better money to be spent, in my opinion. Yeah, no. And I've said that before, too. I, I agree. I, I just I don't know. To me, it just sounds like DeGrom is just kind of dodging questions and he knows that he's out. But, uh, you know, another you have to call it a collapse for the Mets. You have to. I don't care how many games they won. This has to be of qualify, epic proportion too. of epic proportion. And like I told you earlier, um, this is a little new segment we're going to do every now and then. It's kind of an homage to uh, the Michael K show, Don LaGreca. It's kind of uh, it, it's a list. So I have a top five here and you're going to rattle them off, see how many you can get. Um, and it's topical. This is uh, the top five worst Mets losses of the 21st century. So nothing in the 80s, nothing in the 60s, 70s. This is all recent. And what I will say is you are aware of all of these games. So there's nothing off the coffee. Um, all right, so so I have my five, and you can go ahead and I'll add some music to this so it doesn't sound morbid. But um, well, I'm gonna start with uh, I'm I'm not gonna get the exact games, but I'll give you like the frame reference of yeah them. yeah yeah yep. Well, where's last night? That's got to be in there. Yeah, last night's number four. Um, you know, we kind of both thought they were gonna lose, and it is just the wild card round, and they did throw up all over themselves for the last month. So uh, it comes in, but number four. And you said this is past the 2000s? Like, so the year 2000 on, 21st century. So game seven of the 2006 NLCS, was that when that, Beltron struck out looking? That is the game. Beltron strikes nice. out looking on a, a curveball from Wainwright, and then he will go on to dominate the Mets the, the rest of his career, really. Um, I've said a million times, the Andy Chavez catch to me basically didn't happen because he didn't win the game. Uh, that was the loss. It really felt like the Mets were going to really, really be something for years to come, and they never were after that. Um, and I think if they win that game, they go on to win the World Series. Shea Stadium was literally rocking. I thought you would think the place was going to collapse, like mm -hmm. much like much like the Mets. And uh, yeah, so that that's number one. So you have one and four. All right. What about 2015? Game. Just what was the what was the Harvey game? That would be number three. Gotcha. Nice. Uh, a loss in twelve innings. Harvey pleads his case to stay back in the game. Uh, the image of Duda's throwing the ball to home plate still wakes me up in the middle of the night sometimes. Uh, you know the series kind of felt over, so it's not one or two, even though it is the World Series. That's number three for me. So you have one, you have three, and you have four. By the way, just showing you. <laughs> no, I there's nothing it. in there's nothing in my hands, and I'm like shockingly, I'm <laughs> shocking myself at this point. Yeah. Well, if you um, if you go five for five, that would be something. I mean, I'm three for five, three for three right now. Yeah, yeah. This one's gonna be tough because this is where like those are like my three that like literally just stick out of my head. Yeah. I'm gonna say, I said, I you said the NLCS in 2000. What, that? what what was the NLCS game that I said? What year? That was, that was 2006. That, that 2006. Sorry. 
Now, what about they lost to the Yankees? I was going to say, what about one of those games? Like, what is it? Is that like the uh, what about the Piazza Piazza Clemens game? Well, I thought about game one of the 2000 World Series. Um, when Paul the Mets are leading late in the game, Paul O'Neill has that long at bat, kills the Mets, but no one thought the Mets were going to win that World Series. So, okay, so just so outside. It would have so been six. Putting, it would have been you're six. putting a lot of stock in people thinking the Mets will win. How important the game felt, yeah, for sure. Okay, okay, so I'll give you, I will give you one hint. One of these games is a playoff game. I was, that was my next question. And the other is not. So not, I mean, the non-playoff game. Hmm. The non-playoff game. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start asking for hints in like. Well, how about like just a, give, give, how about give me the playoff game? They're never in the playoff. That shouldn't be tough. I mean, twenty. Is it another one in 2015? No. Um. Think, think banner. Banner. So it's got to be one of those wild card seasons. It was the 2016 wild card game because who the hell is Connor Gillespie coming off of a, a World Series run for the Mets? They lose one nothing to the Giants at home to shut down that season and they don't return to the playoffs until 2022. So the last one you have, it's the number two spot. It's wait, not wait, 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 wait. I'm it's not, not okay. You. Okay, not, not a postseason game. Not a postseason game. Can you tell me, like, where the Mets finished that year? Position-wise. Not in the postseason. They weren't in the – okay, so they weren't in the postseason that year. Okay, so that eliminates, like, a handful of years for me. Um, <laughs> uh, like two or three years it eliminates. Is there anyone that is still on the team? No. No one's still on the team. So I'm going to say that this is early. This is like 2000s before 2010. Yes. Okay. Hmm. Oh, uh, oh, 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 um, the, oh, damn. Um, when, what's his face got hurt? Who? Uh, Santana. No, no. Ah, damn. That would be a good one though. Think, think worst pitching performance in the history of the Mets. Oh, hmm. Jeez. Where do I begin? Uh, no, well, the Santana one, I think you could easily spin because that you can make the argument that that game changed the Mets course right. for but, a but, long time. But this game was important, though. Worst pitching performance. And it's like in the 2000s. Yeah, I think collapse worst pitching performance in Mets history. If anyone's listening to this, they're going to be punching their phones right now. I mean, you also need to understand that for a non-Met fan, for me to get the first three off the bat, I'm impressed with myself. I agree. So I, I'm drawing a blank. Give me, right. give me clue. Who's the starting pitcher? <laughs> that that completely give it away. That completely gives it. Yeah. Okay. His name then will forever be. All right. 2007 game 162 against the Marlins. The Mets had, had the East locked up. They collapsed the way that they always do. They had to win this one game. Glavin gets one out, gives up seven runs. And uh, this really, after 2006, you thought the Mets were really going to go on this magical run for years to come. Never happened. Uh, and it really, it all started with that game. And they wouldn't sit on top of the division again for eight years. And that's uh, that's the five. I'm impressed with myself. Yeah, you did good. Um, let's see, you want to you wanna talk about a big football weekend? That we can definitely do, and I feel like definitely need some more positivity here after that. So from now a team that McFeely and I disagree on to a team that we agree on, I think. We're definitely fans of the Jets, but maybe we think differently about them right now. But the Jets, an amazing 40-17 to win over the Dolphins at home. I think we were both all over it, right, in our, our pick segment. Did you did you pick the Jets? No, I was on the Dolphins, but you, you have to understand that the, the complexity of the game changes on the first snap from yeah. scrimmage for Miami. 
But well, I, I, I don't want to give them like, – I don't want to fault the Jets for that. I mean, regardless of who played quarterback, the Jets putting up 40 on a pretty good defense since when? Well, the defense – I mean, this is where – so I guess we did disagree because a little bit because I thought that – yes, obviously the game changed, but I, I thought the Jets played well enough that I thought even if Teddy Bridgewater was in there, I still think they win that game. I feel I might, like they were might, clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, I might agree with that. 24 um, points in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, they they really put foot on neck right there. Seriously, it was like yeah. they left no sliver of a comeback there. Because we've seen, like, even, even when the Jets win, I feel like there's always that, like, one little point of the game where it's like, oh, my God, dude, all you need is a first down or oh, all you need is a field goal. And yeah. they, they put – there was no doubt in the game yesterday. Um, the Jets are – what did we say? We said that when Zach Wilson comes back – it is week one ground zero. That's where you're starting. And we're seeing it at full effect right now. Seriously. That's the Dolph. Don't be shortchanged by the Dolphins defense. I know they had a lot of injuries going into the day, but that's a good NFL defense. Not, not in any world beaters. They're not the Cowboys or the Bucks or anything like that, but they're definitely a good or a better than average defense. And Zach Wilson was shining yesterday as well as all his other weapons. Yeah, they played a complete uh, four quarters for the first time this season, I would think. And uh, yeah, man, they really have some young, like real players that are making an impact already, whether it's Brees Hall, whether it's Gardner, even Michael Carter from the goal line. They looked really good. And they, they have, how many you're times right, they have did, weapons. Yeah, and how many times did we say, like looking at the schedule, like, man, I wouldn't be surprised if they start off 0-5 or – Oh, and four. They're three and two. Yeah, this is this is a, a season so far that look, you're gonna look back on maybe and you're gonna say, like, like look at Joe Flacco keeping us afloat <laughs> a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah. like you might end up might look back and say, like, hey, you know, if Joe Flacco doesn't get that win against the Browns, maybe we don't make the playoffs or something. I don't I still don't think the Jets are necessarily a playoff team, but like, hey, yeah. at this point, it could be on the table. Yeah, no, it could be. I mean. You don't feel great about next week, but after what the Giants just did, I mean, who knows? Maybe you go we'll, in we'll, we'll get into we'll get we into will. next week on our our preview show later in the week. Yeah, but what what I will say is that the one two of Brees Brees Hall looks like a guy a stud and a half, and yeah. then the compliment of Mike Carter is a great one too. I mean, you see all these successful teams that have not just one running back, unless you have like a Derrick Henry, you. You need two guys. You need someone to compliment the guy, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. I bring it up all the time. Obviously, it didn't work out for them yesterday. We'll get into the Packers and Giants. But these successful offenses have quarterbacks that can move, multiple guys who can run the ball out of the backfield, and weapons all over the field. And with Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore, they I love the way they used Braxton Berrios yesterday. Um, it was great. And they, they didn't even have to lean on guys like Corey Davis. He had two catches for 38 yards. Yeah, it's the most dynamic I've seen the Jets offense maybe ever. And you want to see you want to see maturity and uh, not even just looking at the game, but here's maturity. Ready, Zach Wilson, or actually the Jets receivers. Brees Hall two catches, Corey Davis two catches, Garrett Wilson three catches, Uzama two catches, Carter two catches, and then one 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 one. Yeah, that's you, spreading the ball around. That's yeah, they, maturity, and that's uh, an embarrassment of riches. Even yeah, did you know it's their first divisional win since 2019? No jet stat surprised me anymore. <laughs> they're they're gonna like like they're we see Judge like breaking all these crazy like Babe Ruth, Roger Maris, and it's like and the Jets haven't scored more than ten yeah. points in ten years or something like that. Like so, as for the Dolphins, I mean this is a game where you're just gonna chalk it up and say like we'll see you again later in the year. I feel like if you're a Dolphins fan, like give me Tua, give us give us all our defense fully healthy and. Maybe obviously, I think the game ends up a little differently, yeah. but hey, you beat who's in front of you. You yeah. do. And yeah. that's who was in front of the Jets. I thought there was great coaching decisions by the Jets. This was the first I, I'm very I've been very critical of the Jets offensive play calling, even with Flacco. Um, and I thought that with Zach Wilson, they really have opened up the playbook. You see double reverses, you'll see Braxton Berrios lining up, you'll see guys, different guys taking snaps. Uh, wheel routes to the running back. I mean, they're just, they were clicking on all cylinders yesterday. And um, I was hot. I'm, I'm still high in the Dolphins, but I thought it was a very, uh, they beat the Jets beat the brakes off the Dolphins yesterday in almost every facet of the game. 
Yeah, they did. They, they, like I said earlier, they they played a complete game. It's really all coming together offensively, and it's it's a joy to watch. So. Yeah. So natural tie-in, the Jets go and play the Packers, who are coming off a loss in London to the Giants, yeah. which this was a game where I feel like, you know, thank you, our survivor pool, but I feel like this would be a game where if our survivor pool was still a thing, someone would have picked the Packers and very confidently. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I guess not so. you, but I guess so. But I, I don't. I don't know. I I obviously thought the Packers were going to win, but I mean they they held them scoreless in the second half. The Giants didn't give up a point in the second half. And so Giants win twenty seven twenty two. Um, they held not only did they hold you. I feel like dis- discounting them to say that they held the Packers to scoreless in the second half. They held Aaron Rodgers scoreless in the second half, which. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I could probably count on one hand how many times he's been shut out in the second half of a game. Yeah, no, it, so you definitely could. Yeah, and and it's I, that's impressive in itself. Even if they, I feel like even if they lost, I feel when we spoke about the Giants, I think the thing was, yeah, maybe you don't win this game, but like show that you can compete. So not only did they win, but now their defense is looking like. They're on a they're a high horse right now, and I feel like many people are very high in the Giants' defense right now because of, I mean, just think of the last the last drive of the game. Aaron Rodgers has the ball. It was like thir- it was like what third and two or something like that. Tip, fourth and two. Tip. Game end. Yeah, it was imp- impressive, impressive to say the least. And and as for the Giants on offense, we're, we're talking down on Aaron Rodgers a lot, but that was Daniel Jones' best game as a pro. Yeah, there was I'll, a time, I'll give you your flowers about that, by the way. He really did. Like, he did kind of what you said. He held in the pocket and, and delivered the ball nicely. I was – I'm not a rim hanger. I'm not. But I think I was spot on in saying that this game could be a very big game in the development of Daniel Jones and just, I guess, the uh, – I guess it allows the Giants to open their eyes up a little bit more as as far as, like, what he can do. Um, he – we know he can run. We know he can, he's fast. He's obviously we've debated about whether he's like necessarily athletic and agile a lot, but we've seen him. We, he makes throw after throw. He's stepping up on like third and eight yesterday, stepping up in the pocket and slinging slants for first downs. And it was, you can say what you want about the Packers defense, but it's one thing to like do something and win a game, but it's another thing to do it with conviction. And I thought that, Given Saquon Barkley, amazing again. We don't even think we really need to talk about him that much. But what you can talk about is when Saquon Barkley went off the field for a little bit yesterday when he was in the blue tent being evaluated for, what they say, was a shoulder injury? I don't remember. I think I think they were looking at his shoulder. But when they looked at him, the for, he did come back and he was, he was perfectly fine. He'll play next week unless something goes miraculously wrong. But there was about a, almost like a quarter's worth of time where Daniel Jones – had the offense to himself and he responded big time. That was like, that's one of those games where, and again, in our preview, I said, I don't know if the giants really like believe in Daniel Jones. I feel like he's just really like a stopgap for them yes. still, but that's one of those games where you can see Dayball going back to the, the office or the GM and saying, Hey, look, like if we can continue to do this and get this out of this guy, like, I want him. I want Daniel Jones. Like, yeah, from Dable's perspective, not mine, because I'm still skeptical on Jones as a franchise quarterback. But yeah, I was gonna say I'm, I'm probably still in the camp that they don't bring him back alone and say this is your job next season. But also, if this happens a handful more times, he's probably gonna be your best option next year. Well, he might be, and because you're gonna find yourself with their four and one now. So yeah, you know, even if they lose out, they still might not get the number one pick. Yep. Like it seems like, I mean, Texans got a huge win yesterday, but um, the thing of the teams are at the bottom of bottom of the NFL, they're most likely going to finish with less than four or five wins, you know? So yeah, even if you lose out, which would be another travesty to talk about, but I don't, I don't think the giants are going to do that obviously, but I think the giants really can see the playoffs on their horizon. I really yeah. think so. Yeah, I mean, and granted, they're they're in the best division in football. Maybe not not the best, the best in the NFC, I should say. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, you're right. I, it, no, it's it's definitely like a little bit of skepticism. But 
I think I think you can if you're a Giant fan, it's okay to be optimistic about the postseason today or the playoffs today. I, I agree. Why why yeah. wouldn't you? Why wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, and and it's like it's almost like they find themselves in a great position because not only is Daniel Jones obviously playing to win the games, but he's playing to win himself some money, essentially, yeah, yeah. or to playing to win himself another year in the league, even. Yeah, and so we we said we're we're not going to get into next week yet, and, and we will on the next show. But they got a really really tough one next week, so to, to be four and one right now is a blessing. Yeah, so Giants are hosting the Ravens next week, um, and this is the Giants' schedule is kind of going to be like this up and down all year i feel like yeah. um so look let's get a couple more daniel jones performances like this one uh i think you can now safely say that obviously given health and you know we're hoping that barkley is healthy throughout the entire year but barkley's a surefire thing for 100 plus scrimmage yards a game give him a touchdown a game uh the the biggest question will be like who are they going to throw the ball to I think yeah. it's it's yeah. it's almost like they look like when Barkley's out there. And I thought in the beginning of the game, especially the first quarter, it was a one man band. It was like, all right, well, let's they to me, it looked like Daniel Jones went to huddle and said, all right, clapped his hand, said, all right, guys, we want to run the ball to Barkley or we want to throw the ball to Barkley is this play. Yeah. And <laughs> like, I, like we talk all the time about how Aaron Rodgers has no one to throw to this and that. Who does Daniel Jones have to throw to? And by the way, we, we should we should be coaching the Packers because we say it week in, week out. Just run the football. Yeah, yeah. It's it's they don't run the ball, and it's very no. strange. But look, now, did you hear the stat they said in the broadcast yesterday about Rodgers? No. So Rodgers throws a touchdown pass to Mercedes Lewis, right? Who's yeah. like a, a veteran tight end. I think it was his first catch of the oh, year. If he's the only first first rounder that he's ever thrown. He at. is the first first round pick that has caught a touchdown pass from Aaron Rodgers. That's that's strange. That's and a stat I, of the day. It's a yeah. stat of the day. It's well, especially absolutely they, unreal. Especially because they don't they don't draft him any help in the first round. They they like to well, draft backup quarterbacks and whatnot. So it's like it's like now is this impressive in the fact that uh, Rodgers is doing this without you know elite talent? But like then you could also spin it and say like, well, I mean, what ta- how much more talent does he need when he's got Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson? I mean, he's still throwing to Randall Cobb. Yeah, you know, you see all the guys he's had, and it's like, it just—it's a very eye-opening stat. But I, I just thought it was thought it was de- definitely noteworthy. But um, oh, and there was another eye-opening stat that I heard this morning. Did you know that this was the first time that the Giants scored points—not not a touchdown—scored points in the final two minutes of either the first or second half in yeah, I, several I heard that. years. Yeah, not, I heard not that. even like oh, 2019. I'm talking years. Yeah, no, I, I heard that, and that's that's pretty shocking as well because like you don't hit a, you don't you know score a touchdown to win a game once or you, you don't, don't hit a field goal to end the you first know half you don't hit once. a field goal to end the first half or you don't yeah. hit a field goal to end the game once like um i mean the best way we could describe it is that's a game like that the giants normally would lose 100% like they don't they don't win those games so could be a sense of the tides turning in new york football um the, the weather has changed, and that means that baseball has changed as well. We already spoke about the Mets. Let's get into the Yankees a little bit because I definitely have some thoughts. Um, the first thing I want to bring up, and I know you saw it. We spoke about it a little bit yesterday, obviously, and um, even a little bit today. But Aroldis Chapman, uh, not on the DS roster. He skipped a – I think Boone said that it was like a uh, live BP session because they were saying that Nestor was throwing to Matt Carpenter and Carpenter hit a home run off of him or something. So, like, they were just probably doing, like, simulated games and they probably have, like, a pitching schedule that they do it to. And Chapman just didn't show up. Yeah. So, he was in Miami. Uh, they didn't give a reason, I don't think. I don't think anyone's even been able to, like, uncover what a potential reason could be. But they said Chapman was in Miami – didn't show up for his assigned uh, simulated game or bullpen, whatever it was. And not like he was going to be on the roster anyway, which is another layer to this because they said he's not going to be on the roster because of this, right? Period. Stop. Yeah, but well, they made, he made the decision a, a no brainer, but yeah, I agree. He probably wasn't going to be on well, the roster anyway. So now the, what I was going to ask you is, do you think that it was more of like, Chapman just didn't want to have to do this or he didn't want to be on the chopping block? Or do you think that like he got word that 
he wasn't going to be on the roster and just said, the latter. I'm not even going to show up. The latter. Okay. Yeah, if I mean, that's like, fair. If he thought he was going to be pitching in the postseason, and, uh, you know, I don't know if he's – is he, how old is he now? Is he even going to be in the league next year? He will be, but, like, it. I, I think some team will probably, like, maybe take a chance on him on, like, a one-year deal or, right. like – Like, wouldn't you think, like, I can go pitch in the postseason, make myself a little bit – like, there's – I think the only explanation for skipping was that he knew he wasn't going to be on the roster. Yeah. Well, I, I, I usually, I actually agree, but I was just kind of presenting the other side there. Yeah. But so Chapman on the roster that leaves uh, a little bit easier decision for, uh, I guess, Aaron Boone and the Yankees, as far as the rest of the roster is concerned. Um, I mean, you can, you can get into let's let I me, mean, let's think about the roster again. I'll go through it quick with the given updates. Trevino, Higgy are your catchers. That's one, two. Rizzo's going to be your first baseman. That's a lock. Matt Carpenter, who who also can play first, is hit a home run off Nestor Cortez yesterday in practice. Everyone says that he's looking 100%. He could potentially be a first base option. Uh, I don't know how realistic it is because he had a foot injury. So I don't know how realistic it is for him to play like third or second even. But I feel like first base very little mobility side to side. I could see him slotting into first base, maybe on a one-off situation here or there, whatever, but um, you think he would DH the first game. So, well, now that's, that's, here's my question, my ultimate question. And kind of what I, where I'm at right now with what the Yankees will do is there has been a lot of talk about two things in Yankee world the last two days. Uh, optimism that Stan might play the outfield which could open a whole nother door and then pessimism that DJ will be on the roster. And so I guess what, what I'm trying to get at is if DJ is not on the roster, that means that your third baseman you're looking at is Josh Donaldson, obviously, or your options are Josh Donaldson outside the box, but moving IKF over to third and putting Cabrera at short. I don't think that happens or putting Matt Carpenter at third, if you truly believe that he's there and can play third or putting Oswaldo Cabrera at third and putting Stanton in the outfield, which well, yes. If you asked me this morning, I think the Yankees starting infield is Trevino catching or Cole on the Hill, Trevino catching Rizzo at first Glaber at second IKF at short Oswaldo at third Stanton in left, Bader in center, Judge in right, Carpenter DH. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, uh, and I think that's – it's looking more and more likely, I think, that that scenario because I – I a lot of times I was very pessimistic on – I was – when Stan came back from his injury, I was like, he's not going to play the outfield. He, like, they're just, they're just not going to do that. But, like, hey – if he's if they're in the postseason right now, and I think Stan's a gamer. I don't know about you, but like I feel like he's one of those guys that wants to play. Like I don't feel like he's he gets some uh, bad rap because he's a DH and he sometimes he has some ugly swings and he doesn't really run that fast. But like when he's in the field, he's like an average outfielder. Oh yeah, he always has been. Yeah, he, it's it's like it, there's a misnomer that he's just like this hitter that you can only stick in the outfield because he's because that's the only place he'll play. Yeah. But he's actually average out there, so it's not really like a net negative to to put him in the outfield. So, and it's and it's also not like Oswaldo Cabrera was any surefire thing in the outfield either. Yeah, and, and I mean, who would you rather have out there, Stanton or Hicks? So well, let's be yeah, honest. Well, so, so that and another another layer too. There's a lot of layers to these these roster decisions because if one guy can do one thing, that closes another guy's door, right? So, I think if Carpenter is available and Josh Donaldson eventually is on the bench as a pinch hitting option. I think that leaves out Marwin Gonzalez on the bench. Um, so I don't think he'll be on the roster, but I do. And I think if Stan can play the outfield and, and actually starts in the outfield, then I think that leaves Hicks off the roster. Um, but what I will say is I think that opens the door for Peraza because the Oswaldo Cabrera can't play everywhere and you need a backup shortstop just in case. Right. So I think Peraza is on the roster. Higgy on the bench, JD on the bench, um, LaCastro probably on the bench as a pinch runner. And then you you can go about your bullpen any which way, really, but uh, that's pretty set in stone as well. So, interesting. 
do you have any thoughts on any, any of that? I know that was a whole bunch of words, but <laughs> anything that stood out to you? No, I mean, I, I think you hit it right on the head. And I, I think what you said earlier in the chat about like, I believe Stan when he says he wants to play out there. I agree with you. Um, yeah. And I think the, the argument is almost like, like the Yankees probably said, yeah, dude, take it easy. We don't want to put you in the outfield like the entire second half, but we'll probably just have you DH in the postseason. Stanton's like, whoa, whoa. Like if this guy, Matt Carpenter, who was like arguably the best hitter in the entire first half of the MLB can play, put me in the outfield. Like I'll survive. Yeah. And when we talk about like, I think Stanton playing the outfield, we talk about closed avenues like Hicks or whatever. Him playing the outfield obviously benefits the Yankees opening up the DH spot like a hundred times over. Oh, it's not even close. So a, it's a huge upgrade. Yeah. So why wouldn't he want to go out there and, and help out? So I, I agree. And I think that's the smart. And look, you can say what you want about Donaldson. I've obviously been critical of Donaldson, but I would much prefer going into a postseason series as Donaldson being a weapon off the bench versus in the lineup for the entire game. I agree. Like, like I can, I can see IKF coming up with a man on first and two outs in the eighth inning in a tie game and they need a home run and they go to, they go to Donaldson and then put Peraza at short or even, but you could even, well, here's another, if that happens and you could put Cabrera at short and sub Donaldson in at third, there's yeah. a lot, the Yankees have a lot of versatility, which is yeah, nice. They, they have a lot of options and, you know, yeah. And so. you can have a bench. If you have, if you have Carpenter, uh, who is it? Carpenter Oswaldo. And like Marwin Gonzalez, those three guys, you can play literally anywhere. And then DJ can play every infield position besides short. Yeah. So there, the flexibility is there. What really is hurting the Yankees and would be interesting if the Yankees were fully healthy, pitching included. So they have like their Mike Kings and they have their Chad Greens and, you know, even Zach Britton's 100%. That makes a guy like Oswaldo Cabrera or DJ LeMahieu even more valuable because now, because now that I feel like the Yankees are okay with having like four or five guys on the bench and losing one arm in the bullpen because their other options are just not, not it. Like who are they going to, they're going to put like, you know, they're not going to put Frankie Montas out there. I'm pretty sure he's still hurt. Yeah. Uh, they're going to, they're not going to have guys like Greg Weissert. I mean, they might have Weissert. They love him, but like, it just makes your decisions a little easier. I feel like. Yeah. So what, what are you most afraid of? Is it, is it the, the lack of a closer, would that be the thing that you are most fearful of for the Yankees? So no, because I think that the, I'm, I've all for every team, not just the Yankees, but I've always been a big supporter of a, a closer or a bullpen by committee. And I think that sometimes out of uh, necessity comes like great triumph, I guess, because I feel like what's going to happen is the Yankees are going to slowly realize that, Hey, maybe if we if we play the matchups right, the Yankees are so matchup dependent. Where they'll say they'll put a lefty in for a lefty, no matter who the matchup is, just because they love the lefty on lefty. So if they say, "All right, well, if we're gonna do this in the sixth inning against you know Josh Naylor, why wouldn't we do this in the in the ninth inning against Josh Naylor? Like we're just we're like, why are we gonna be stubborn and put Clay Holmes in in the ninth inning against a lefty, where we could have Lucas Lickey come in, who's been absolutely dominant against lefties all year." And and it just close the game. Like if he's gonna face two lefties, then throw in a lefty. Have I I would love to see the Yankees make a run and like multiple guys have saves. Yeah, and that, that's probably what'll happen. It's gonna be a, a yeah, closer by yeah. committee situation. So so getting back to your question, my biggest concern for the Yankees is Garrett Cole's first start. I was going to say that because it, ha it has to be with Cleveland being kind of, uh, and listen, I know that maybe it wasn't you, maybe it was, it was our other friend, but saying that I'm not afraid of this team at all. Listen, you shouldn't be the Yankees are better, but if Garrett Cole goes out there game one and has one of his, you know, big game specialties, I, I think he start to tremble a little bit. Well, I think that yes, hundred percent. And I think that, Given everything that's going on with the Yankees and, you know, all that Aaron Judge's prowess and they're like pretty healthy right now. Like they've gotten their guys back offensively. They're they're definitely definitely hurt more on the pitching side than the hitting side right now. But I think given all of that, like Garrett Cole can change his entire narrative if he goes out there and Joe Musgrove's the, in the Guardians. Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? Like if he goes out there and shoves game one. Like you said, right, when we spoke about the Mets, 
it was so critical that they win that they won the division because if they didn't win the division, look what happened, right? Yep. To yep. me, if Garrett Cole goes out there and throws even like an average start, right? Where he yeah. gives an average Garrett Cole start, he'll give up three, four runs in six innings, six, seven innings. That's not good. But the, that leaves the Yankees in a bad spot because that's who that's going to be who he is. Yeah. But I think if he goes out there and absolutely shoves against the Guardians, I think that gives you the utmost confidence in giving him the ball in a game five against the Guardians, giving him the ball in game seven against the Astros, giving him the ball in any World Series game. And I think that can easily change. He just needs to do it. And yeah. go ahead. Well, I mean, I have a long winded uh, okay. point. Yeah. Well, well, winning that first game is so important and it, and it usually is, but because if you win that first game and then you go into game two with everyone's favorite uh, Yankee, everyone who got, you know, everyone kind of wanted him to start game one because of this and because of that, I think you feel great. So yeah, it, it's such a, it's a, for, for, for a game one, it's, it's incredibly pivotal, uh, pivotal, pivotal for Garrett Cole. Well, game one is pivotal, but I feel like game two and three could be pivotable. <laughs> you like that one? Could be because this is something I brought up today, because given the Yankees lack of um, pitching depth right now in the bullpen, right? I feel like Jameson Tyone is going to have to be on the roster, right? Yeah. So now let me ask you this, right? So I, and this is my honest thing. I think this is what might happen result-wise. I think the Yankees win game one. And they lose game two because I think I'm sold on Shane Bieber. Right now, the series matchup is Cole versus Cal Quantrill, who you know my whole Cal Quantrill thing, right? No. Cal Quantrill's 15 and one at home. Cat literally, at home. yeah, he's in his last 16 starts, he's 15 and one at home. So he doesn't lose. Yeah. Okay. But he's playing the Yankees at home, uh, the in Yankee, yeah, sorry, in, in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. yeah. So I like the Yankees to win that game. Even if Cole, I feel like Cole can give up three, four runs. And I think the Yankees will hit Cal Quantrill one. So they win game one game two is Shane Bieber against Nestor Cortez. And I feel like there is just too much. Like, I feel like Shane Bieber is almost a sure thing at this point. He's unhittable. I watch a lot of guardians games. He's really, really good. Why do you watch a lot of guardians games? Well, because Cal Cal Quantrill doesn't lose. I, one of my things I say all the time is Cal Quantrill pays me every five days and my work pays me every 14 days. So why shouldn't I quit my job? <laughs> so that, no, you, so I, you, you watch I, the guardians every day because every time that Jimenez gets a hit, you want to text me that the Mets lost the train. Yeah. yeah. I love the guardians. Jose Ramirez is one of my favorite. I love, I actually really like Jimenez and then the game three starter, which is, this is going to be an electric matchup because these are two of my favorite pitchers in the league in the last like couple years. Sevy against Tristan McKenzie, who Tristan McKenzie just absolutely shoved. But I feel like he has the stuff that the Yankees can hit. Like the Yankees don't do well against guys who are like very like herky jerky or like throw have like super big differences among their uh, fastball speed and you know off speed uh, speed. But I feel like the Yankees can get to Tristan McKenzie. But would I be stunned if Tristan McKenzie throws a gem at home the first? The first, you know, DS game at home that he throws a gem against the Yankees. I wouldn't be stunned. Like, I, I just I watch a lot of Guardians games and he's a good home pitcher. They, they play very well at home, the Guardians. Mm-hmm. Seriously. So my question is, if you're the Yankees and let's say you take game one and two, right? Do you just throw do you just throw Tyone game three? Um, Because there's no rest. He's well, not, has, he hasn't pitched in two weeks by then. I, well, I, I guess the I, I don't know, but the, the plus side to just sweeping would be like you would assume you're going to get more rest. Yes, but I feel like the it's also too going back to like I know wins and losses aren't like a big thing anymore, like in this in far as as far as pitching is concerned. But I Tyone has a very I'm pretty sure he was like 14 and three or this year or something like that. Like he they win when he's on the mound. Yeah, and you know as a Met fan. There, there's definitely something to be said about the psych of a hitter when your studs on the mound or, or when different pitchers are on the mound. Right. Yes. So, I mean, maybe not last night with the Mets, but All right. that's the last thing I'll say about the Mets. Yeah, we, we wrapped um, up the Mets. Come on. <laughs> but I, I almost think that if they won game one and two, they would say, I like our chances here with 
Because then they, they're going to say, I like Tyone to start game three. Even if we lose, we'll throw Seve game four. And then even if we lose that, we'll throw Cole slash Nestor in game five. Yeah. You no, know, like I, I agree with that. So I feel like it's a good way to look at it. But again, that's only we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Yeah, but you, you could in that one. situation, you could just throw Seve and then win. And then you just go right back to the top with Cole the next series. Which... Or or you could just not throw Seve at all and just say, even save him for the, the CS. You could. Like, you know, I'm, I'm again, getting way ahead of myself. Yeah. You asked me what the biggest, what my, what was your question? What my biggest, biggest concern worry, is your biggest concern. Yeah. My biggest worry. Uh, I gave you my pitching worry. My, my other worry is um, them making them getting too cute. Like, like almost like getting too like, Oh, well, we're going to keep, we're going to move IKF to third and then we're going to put, uh, Peraza at short and keep Oswaldo in left, but Carpenter will come off the bench, and that way our defense is like I don't want them to overthink things. Is what I'm trying to say. Like, get your best offense. The Yankees have the difference between the Yankees' best offensive lineup and the Yankees' worst offensive lineup is very slim. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that as long as Judge and Rizzo are in the lineup, which their lineup locks, everyone else is really ancillary. Yeah. So, you know, with the difference between having Donaldson in the lineup over uh, Carpenter is is probably your biggest offensive gap. But a lot of people like Donaldson in his bat. They they think he's clutch. He's a proven veteran, and that's the same thing. Uh, yeah, the only other swimming th- in versatility. The only other thing, yes, and it's something that the Yankees haven't had that as proficient as they do. And I guess the last thing that I'll say on the Yankees, and I know a lot of people like might disagree with this, but. Giancarlo Stan better perform. He better. Yeah. Like there is not a scenario where Stan continues his regular season into this postseason, and the Yankees will, they might win the series. They might skate by the guardians like this, but if you, if you're talking about the Astros or you're talking about the Mariners or whoever they end up facing, or even eventually the Dodgers or the Pirates, I'm Pirates, the, the Padres, you're going to need Stan to be playoff Stan. Like yeah. there's no, there's no ifs. There's no, Oh, well, you know, like what, what if he has like one good game and then like the other, the other games are kind of inconsistent. No Stan needs to be the guy we traded for the guy we committed to long-term and the guy that, that quite frankly, I think pitchers still fear. Well, yeah. And, and honestly, quite frankly, uh, Stanton's performance goes beyond just his own bat because I mean having that bat protecting an Aaron Judge or, or Rizzo, I mean that goes a long oh, way too. Yeah. So. And and as for the lineup, I'm I again I'm not gonna get into the lineup. I don't even know the roster yet, but I think having Stanton not necessarily directly behind Judge, but within, you know, if Judge is leading off, which I think he will be, having him I like having Stan four. Yeah. Personally. Yep. I think he's just like a he's a good four hitter. I don't want him to bat two because he's too double play prone. Like he hits yeah. the ball hundred miles an hour every time he taps it and he can't run. So that's just a recipe for a double play. I agree. So I don't know. Did you want to add anything about the Yankees? I think, well, I feel like maybe I might do like a solo show just to go over the just Yankee roster whenever it comes out, which yeah. is either today or tomorrow. It's Monday at about one twenty right now. So it's not officially out yet, but um, yeah, I might do a quick little solo show about that. i I mean, obviously more than welcome to do it with me, but yeah, <laughs> I feel like it, I can wrap it up in 15 minutes real quick and just go through my thoughts. So yeah, yeah, no, up I, to you. I, I, I'm, I'm good on the Yankees for the day when the, when the season, when the, when the series uh, comes up on the horizon, we'll have more to talk about. And uh, I thought today was a good show. I thought today might've been our best. Yeah, I thought so too. One last thing I'll leave with is, would you say that the Mets real postseason starts Tuesday? Mets fans? What do you mean by that? Do you, you don't get what I'm alluding to? You know, the big, the whole thing about, oh, uh, Met fans, Met fans season ends and they immediately start rooting against the Yankees. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I almost Sorry, I had like to slip that, that in there. I, well, I guess it is a real thing, but I, I certainly don't do it. Yeah. Well, fake fan. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Wear Padres jersey or Padres shirt on the it was pod. An a- it was an accident. Game three. It was an accident. Yeah. You know what happened to me you know yesterday? What, you know what? You were an accident. How about that? <laughs> yeah. I went out to watch the Met game yesterday and, uh, when I, I went to leave to watch a movie, I went to see Smile. You remember the people standing behind? Oh yeah, me? I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. It was all right. It was it was like it was silly, but it was creepy enough that I would say to watch it. But did I think you it, uh, did you what's called? Did you call ahead of time and see if they're going to have the game on and then not have the game on? 
<laughs> no, it didn't happen this time. No. So, so funny story, Matt and I and our other friend, uh, formerly m- member of the podcast, Ryan, uh, go out to eat for like one of the first Yankee Red Sox games. And we're like, oh, yeah, let's go out. Let's grab a bite to eat some drinks and let's go watch the game. This is a Friday night where it was like one of the first prime games of the year. And we called and asked, hey, we know the Yankees are on Amazon Prime. Just want to double check before we you know, drive 30 minutes for some of us that the game's going to be on. Oh, yeah, sure. Let me go double check. Comes back. Yeah, yeah, the game's going to be on. And guess what we ended up doing? Watching the Yankees and Red Sox on my phone yep, yep. while sitting there. So You know what else miserable. happened to me yesterday while I was out at that restaurant? I go to the bathroom. I come back. Wait, you I went there yesterday? For the Met game. Not, you not went- River Rail. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. So I, I, like, I go wow. to the bathroom. I come back to sit down. I put my, my fist on the uh, picture of Booth in a restaurant. Picturing it. So I put my fist on the cushion, the seat, and it's not attached to the seat, right? It's just placed in there, the cushion. So it, it comes up. It like, you know, I'm pushing on the end of it. The other side of it comes up and I sprain my wrist on it. Could I sue them? I mean, no. Oh, well, <laughs> but, but if you would, th- you would think I'm going to make, what, a trillion dollars from, from tennis and now my career might be over. There has to be some liability for that. Your wrist looks pretty okay to me. <laughs> I am a baby about injuries, so it might just yeah. be a little, might be a little twist. But you're anyway, you're on the DL. Yeah, I, I thought it was a good show. Yeah, definitely a good show. Let's go Yankees uh, tomorrow night. I will. You'll probably hear from both of us, if not just one of us, about the Yankee roster in the next episode. So thank you for listening. As always, feel free to reach out to us. I know a lot of Met fans probably need a little bit of sympathy right now, maybe. So please reach out to us. Always down to talk Mets. Interact with our stuff. And uh, thank you for listening. See ya.